You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. God is absolutely eternal. So we understand what that means. Eternal, in its simplest form, means that he is without beginning and he is without ending. Now, last Wednesday night, Brother Kendall and I who is at the conference this week, and there's a couple others from the church, Rand and Sister Swinerton today, and uh, that are out there. And we, we decided that we were going to go out last night, and try, or Wednesday night, and find uh, a dark site. And so we drove not too far away, and we were out there, and we were looking at space. And uh, you've got to drive a long way away from St. Louis before you can get to a truly dark site. And uh, you've got to go to some scary sparts of southeast Missouri, I think, is the closest place to get to. And, uh, but then there's so many trees, you can't really see it. So you got to have an elevation. But we got to a place where we could see enough. And uh, it wasn't the best, but it was pretty cool. We could see most things. And so we had the app out, and we were looking around. And, uh, and I, you looked into a dark spot. You'd see stars, but then you'd see an area where there were no stars. And you look into that spot with just my Bushnell binoculars, and you can see that that spot to the naked eye, you couldn't see it, but it's just full, chalk full of stars and how incredible God is. And so we started talking about that, obviously. Two preachers in the car looking at the, the we started talking about that. And we were talking about the eternity of God and how he said to me, he said, I just can't wrap my mind around that. And I said, that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. I can't wrap my mind around that either. In fact, the concept of God being eternal used to terrorize me as a young kid. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? When you try to think about that, and I would try, because I am a, um, I'm, is it right-brained or is it left-brained? It's left-brained, right, because I'm right-handed? Left-brained that, that is always trying to reason everything out and order everything and figure everything out, so I want to have everything, and so I'm Mr. Left-brained. And so I'm trying to figure everything out. So as a kid growing up, I tried to figure out God in all those kind of things. And here, I finally come to a point, Brother Ike, where I realized I can't figure out God. That's what makes him absolute. That's what makes him transcendent. He's above. He's beyond. He's greater than. I can't understand him in that kind of a context. Amen. I can't even figure out how to work this thing, let alone figure out the Lord. So he is eternal. So let's go here. I tell you, this is just one of those days. Somebody say, help, help our pastor tonight or something. In Jesus' name. Bless him, Lord. That's what I was looking for. Bless him, Lord. I always knew when I first started out evangelizing and I was preaching and it got real quiet, and I could hear some of the faithful old saints say, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord. <laughs> I always knew what that meant. Okay. <laughs> Amen. So he's without beginning, and he's without ending. Now, here is a point where we can get confused, because the, I don't want to say the Bible, but the English translation, there, there has to be an acknowledgement that we are dealing with a translation. So we are dealing with a conversion of initial thoughts, an initial transcription of communique uh, from the Lord 
Now, I don't believe that that means that we can't know truth and all those things, but I think that we have to be diligent to search these things out and to know these things, but we have Hebrew text and Greek text, Aramaic, that's translated into English. And so when we read these, sometimes, number one, not only are we in a foreign culture, the modernity, Western age, do we bring that bias to the text, which we have to get past to find out what it means, but we also have the language barrier. And then not only the language, the biblical language are lost languages. So we have to, so it's not just Hebrew, Hebrew of today is not quite the same. And so we have to try to figure out what these things are. And so the word that often is translated uh, eternal or everlasting can be, uh, sometimes it can mean both, uh, or, or not mean both, but those words can be translated interchangeably, but the Bible is, is not always calling everything eternal in the context that it has no beginning uh, uh, and it has no ending when it's speaking about things that are everlasting. So if you're going to make a note, there's a difference and there's a distinction between everlasting and eternal. And this is very important. We use language sometimes, and this is, this is common, everybody does it. We use language and we know what we mean, but words have an impact. And we'll talk about uh, like eternal life. Well, the only eternal life that exists is God. Okay? I cannot have eternal life or be eternal life because I have a beginning. Okay? I, I'm not, I, but I can enter into everlasting life. Okay? So I can have, does that make sense? That's pretty simple, pretty understandable. So we know that. So the only way that I have eternal life is when the eternal God <laughs> becomes my life in that context, you know, kind of thing. But I have a beginning. So there's a difference between everlasting and eternal. Eternal has no beginning and eternal has no ending, okay? Everlasting has a beginning, but it has no ending. And so there's a difference in that. So these terms are used somewhat interchangeably, but when they are applied to God, they take on a uniqueness. So God is not only everlasting, he is eternal. He's, he's not only everlasting, he is eternal, okay? So he's God, there's no beginning. So let's look at a couple of verses here. We'll go to Isaiah 43 and 13, and I didn't give you the list of scriptures, my apologies, and Micah 5 and 2. So first, Isaiah 43 and 13. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? So here's the key of this verse. God was, but not only was, is, God is, that's in our understanding a present tense, God is before the was. You catch that? Before the day was, okay, the day came into being. Of course, that would be creation in that sense. I am he. I am. So God is making a distinction here. Number one, we know that, that he's before that. Then we go to Micah 5 and 12. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, 
Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be the ruler in Jerusalem's. Okay, J ruler in Jerusalem. What is this prophecy? This prophecy, Micah 5.2. Sorry, I may have gone a little fast. Micah 5.2. This Bethlehem prophecy is the prophecy that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Okay? So when the wise men come, they come to the king. Uh, uh, they saw the star, they come to the king, and they're trying to find out where Messiah was born. The king didn't even know, and he had to turn to the people, that, the, the, the scribes and the readers, and say, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, oh, it's going to be in Bethlehem. And that's how they found out about that. So he goes, but here's what it says about Christ, okay? We already know that Christ is, is the omnipresent God present, manifested on the earth. But here's what it says about him. It says, who's, uh, uh, he shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been... Now watch this language, from old, from everlasting, okay? So now we know everlasting has a beginning but no ending, it has a point. Now what he's saying about the prophecy of the Messiah, okay, is that he is the one who is from everlasting. Not to everlasting, but he's from everlasting, <laughs> meaning he has no beginning, means wherever you find God, you can go everlasting in any direction, and there he is. He still is. So this is a pretty powerful thing. So, so people then, obviously in their theology, couldn't say, well, Jesus Christ had a beginning, because here it prophesied, and they misunderstood that and said, well, we have, you know, maybe there's, there's more than one God, or there's split personalities in God, and they're all co-equal and co-eternal, and that's not what the Bible's saying here. So we're going to look at that. We'll understand that. Um, so real quick, let's go to the, the first slide that I gave you, and we'll look at eternal versus everlasting. So there we go right here. And if you can see that up there, if you can, if you can't, I apologize. But say the very top point up here um, is the point uh, of, let's say, he's, he's God everlasting, but then he says from everlasting. So he comes from everlasting. And so that little sideways eight is the mathematical sign of infinity. There's no ending. You can keep going and going and going infinitely, and you cannot find the end of God. And then this right here represents the beginning, the beginning of the day, the logos, the, the point where God began everything. And then from there, everything goes out, everything emanates, and the universe expands, and all creation and all that stuff from that point. So this right here, this drawing, this paradigm is when I saw this, oh, probably 16 years ago now, when I saw this, this totally helped me understand context in the oneness of God. And we've been talking about that. And you'll hear me use that phrase a lot of time, before the beginning. And we got to think about God before the beginning, God absolute. What was before the beginning? There was nothing except for God. We already talked about that. God everything is God nothing, right? Because there's nothing else. God knows nothing in that sense because there's nothing else that exists. And then God begins time. He starts something. He reveals himself. And so from there, there's this process that continues on. All right, so eternal has no beginning nor end. Everlasting has a beginning. Eternity, think about it this. Eternity, when we think about eternity, we think eternity is a place. Eternity is not a place. 
Eternity is a person or a being, and that is the eternal. God is the eternal. You can't go to eternity and God not be there. God is what dictates eternity or the eternal. Does that make sense? So we think sometimes, oh, I'm going to go to eternity. And the world has this concept that we're going to go to eternity as if it's some kind of a place. No. God is the only thing that is eternal. So the only way you get to eternity is by getting in God. Catch that? Amen. you got to get in God because he's the only one that has no ending. All right. So... Amen. So when the Bible uses the word eternal, a lot of times it generally only, when, our, when I say this, when our English Bible uses the word eternal, a lot of times it means everlasting and not eternal. So you've got to pay attention to that. And that can be a place where the English language can sort of uh, trip us up, I guess, a little bit in our context and in our theology. And so, the, uh, uh, but when the underlying word actually means eternal, it is referring to a property of God. It's referring to an attribute of God. When the text actually denotes eternal, it's, that is an attribute of God. Like, we're, like we would say, uh, omnipresent, okay? So you don't, omnipresent is not a place, it's a being, it's a person, it's God. It's an attribute of deity in that kind of a concept. So everlasting would be the application of the eternal in the scheme of creation, um, and uh, God can speak beyond the scope of time and space relationships. And he's above time. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. But God is timeless. Not just before, through, and after time. But he is timeless. So in understanding God, time has no significance to God. Has significance to us. Has significance to his drama uh, of an unfolding redemption. The unfolding of the drama of redemption, rather. It has time in that sense, but time has no significance or effect, I guess you could say, upon God. So we're going to look at this later on. When God speaks, sometimes he speaks in different places that we would say, well, he's speaking in a different place in time. And it throws us off, and people don't understand that. This is a good thing. We're going to get to that. This has, this has a good benefit for you. Sometimes God speaks about things that haven't yet happened as though they've already happened. And that's like, okay, I do not get that right there. Well, the only way that works is if God is not affected by time. He has no, and so he tells us that. Look at this. In Psalm 90 and 4, let's go to Psalm 90 and 4. We'll go to 2 Peter 3, 8. And then we'll go to Isaiah 45 and 21. So Psalm 90 and 4, he says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Okay, hold that verse up there. But then we're going to go to 2 Peter 3, 8, Isaiah 45, 21, and Isaiah 46 and 10. Look at this verse for just a second. I want to pause here. Now, you have heard people say, well, you know, a day is a thousand years to the Lord. And they make that a rule that whenever the Bible talks about a day, that it's a thousand years. Well, actually, that's not what the Bible says. If you look at what the Bible says, the point here that he's making is not 
that a day to God is like a thousand years. And so people will go back. Have you ever heard anybody go back to the creation narrative and say, well, there's six creative days, so those days are, are, are 6,000 years? You've heard that? They're taking that, this passage of Scripture, the next verse is from Peter, and Peter quotes this, and he only quotes the first part. He doesn't quote the second part. And so they take that and say, well, a day means a thousand years. So every time there's a day in the Old Testament, it means a thousand years. That's not what it's saying. What, what the psalmist is making a point here, by the way, this is Psalm 90, which is written by Moses. What the psalmist is saying here is that time has no significance to God. And a day, you and me say it's a day, he said to God, it could be a thousand years or as a watch in the night. What was a watch? Well, if you knew the calendar and the clock that they operated by, there were several watches throughout the night, and then the day was from sunrise to sundown. And so a watch was approximately three hours at night, our three hours, modern three hours. So what he's saying is to God, time can be as a thousand years, which that's just an arbitrary number. Today we'd say a million or a billion or quazillion or whatever. A thousand years or just a watch in the night. It could be small, it can be little, or it can be big. The point is, is that God is above time and God has no effect on time. So when the Lord says to you, watch, behold, I come quickly. Well, God's quick and your quick might be two different things. All right? Amen? Catch that? Okay. So we, we want everything quick. I want, we're so quick, we won't even wait for a good pot of coffee. We want a K-cup, Keurig thing. Push, push it in there. I want to push the button. I want to snap my fingers, and I want it to be right here. It doesn't matter what we sacrifice, right? We just want it quick, quick, quick. That's always man. Man's always getting in a hurry about everything. And the Lord said, behold, I come quickly. And here we are, almost 2,000 years later. But folks, when you're eternal, <laughs> amen? So you got to go a little easy on me when I say, I'm going to be short tonight. I, I might be talking in, you know, I might, I might be talking. It's a broad context there, you know, kind of thing. We, you know, 2 Peter 3 and 8, Behold, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. What Peter, Peter wasn't saying make a doctrine out of that. What Peter was saying to you is that God, God's time, God's above time, he's beyond time, he's, his time has no significance to God. He's going to do it when he's going to do it. Right? So he says, Abraham, I want you to leave where you're at. And I want you to march out through the wilderness, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you a land with promise. And Abraham says, okay, God, here I am. Uh, it's only been a few months. I'm ready for this. And God said, well, no, I'll, I'll probably get around to it in 24 years, you know, kind of thing. And, and so here he is wandering around. So when God speaks something into your heart, Okay, let's bring this down to where we, what does this mean to me? Has God ever spoken to you? Have you ever had an impression? Have you ever felt a scripture, something? God give you an answer. God give you a word, as we would say, and say, I feel this. Or God's calling you to something, some significant thing. Or you just feel an impression that I, I feel like this is going to happen. And, and you go through life, and the years roll on, and the days go by, and what happens? We begin to question, did I really hear from God? Come on, somebody. Nobody's going to help me on Wednesday night here. 
Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Did I really hear from God? And if we're not careful, we get God's plan and everything out of order instead of realizing, hey, if God says it, we could put it in the bank and know that it's going to come to pass. Abraham, I'm going to make of you, I'm going to make of your seed many nations. Well, number one, how could it be many nations? That, that's just, how does he believe that? Then number two, neither Abraham nor Sarah were able to have children. That was not just on Sarah, but that was Abraham too. And we know that from the language that the Bible speaks both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it lets us know that both Abraham and Sarah were unable to ever, ever have children. And so Abraham's saying, God, how is this going to happen? Can I tell you, when God says it, it's going to come to pass. So you can trust in the Lord. Isaiah 45 and 21, tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from the ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is none God else beside me, a just uh, God and a Savior, there is none beside me. So he's talking about this time. Isaiah 46 and 10, declaring the end from the beginning. Folks, do you realize that there are things that have not happened yet that God has already spoken and declared. He declares the end from the beginning to the Jews. There were things that, that Job writes about that have not yet happened. Because God says, hey, look, you're stuck in time. You're subject to time. You can't see past the present. You can maybe see a few minutes, hours. You can dream about tomorrow. But you have no clue what's coming down the road. But I have no effect. I'm not, I, I have no effect by time. I see it all. And this is what's going to happen. And so he spells it out just like it. He declares the end from the beginning. So his... his um, he said, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, watch this, I like this, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter how bad the devil thinks he is, there's no way that he's going to be able to go against the plan and the word of God. And what God is saying is, my counsel, my judgments are going to stand. And I will do my pleasure. This is going to be pleasing to me. When this is all done and wrapped up and, and, and over, it's going to be exactly, it, it it's already is exactly how I want it. And so sometimes we, we have a lack of peace in our heart, folks. Is anybody, is anybody else besides me just sometimes stressed with the lack of peace that is in our world? The angers. The tensions, the rages, and, and it's not even about the argument anymore, whether you're right or wrong. It's just this lack of peace. Folks, can I tell you, when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I, I don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about anything. If, let's, what, what's, if somebody creates some, or some bomb comes tomorrow and wipes our continent, off the face of the earth. Can I tell you, it's all going to be all right. Why? Because God's word said it's all going to be all right. And he already knows what's going to happen. So I have peace in that. Amen? So eternality, how, no, how am I saying that word wrong? My wife's not here to correct me. Not eternity, eternality. 
Okay, because eternity is, so the word would be eternality. I think that's how you say that, right? Eternality. Okay, so eternality, timelessness, allow, is what allowed God to speak as I am. So this was one of the significant things. Moses at the burning bush, okay, and he suspends the laws of nature by a bush burning, by the way, that drew him over there. Take your sandals off your own holy ground. Lord, who should I say sent me? Well, let's go there. Exodus 3, verses 13 through 15. So this is what allows God to speak as the I am. Only he, only as he relates to himself in time can we find him speaking of himself as the one who was, is, and is to come. Okay? So when he's relating himself to time, then he speaks was, is, is to come. But he is just the I am. That's what it means. That's what it means. And so here it says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is thy name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And that statement, that I am that I am, these attributes that we're talking about, by the way, that we're unfolding, that we're taking time, are wrapped up in the name of God. I am that I am. You cannot find a place in time that he's not right now. I'm not in my tomorrow, and I'm not in my yesterday, but he is. That's what he's saying. Not only that, you can't find his space. In time, matter, and space... He filleth all in all. Amen. I am that I am. And he said, Thus thou, thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto God, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. So he said, tell them, this is the first time that he begins to give some kind of a reveal into the name of God. I am that I am. And then he says, just so you know, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And everything that they knew through the stories and the narratives of those three patriarchs had been revealed. Parts of these unique attributes of deity had been revealed in that. And so they understood him as such. In Revelation chapter 4 and 8, the Bible says that the angels rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So he is all things, but when he speaks it like that, he's relating himself to time to us. But eternity describes God's existence. So his eternality is one of his unique attributes. He is. He just simply is. He's without beginning and he's without ending. Okay, so we could go on. Um, and let me, uh, I won't go through all of, of these scriptures. They're so wonderful. But Isaiah 57 and 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, we read this last week, that inhabiteth eternity okay remember that talking about the time so he's present in all time he inhabits eternity in that 
at the same time, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place. Um, go to Deuteronomy 33 and 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. Amen. The eternal God is your refuge. Amen. So he's speaking these things to pagan societies, to carnal uh, deities, man-made things in Egypt and wherever else you want to talk about it. Paul echoes the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 17. Now unto the king, and you hear me quote this often, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. What's he saying here? Well, remember we said no man hath seen God at any time. He's beyond us. He's invisible in that sense. Okay? He's eternal, the king, the only wise God. Honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That was Paul's refrain to Timothy. This doctrine impacted his worship. Hear me again. Your theology, your doctrine, what you think about God is going to impact your worship. Can I say that again? What you think about God is going to impact your worship directly. Amen. That's why when we come into the house of the Lord, amen. And, and you know, there's all kinds of songs, and we've been singing songs all kinds. You know, sometimes the newest songs that come out, we sing them. They're okay. They're great. They're not the greatest. But, you know, we used to sing about the royal telephone, folks. Okay? So there are some songs. Let's put it in context kind of thing here, you know. We sing about the royal telephone today. Kids would not even know what, what are they talking about, you know? Kind of thing. People don't even know what that is. Kind of thing. But in all of our singing, we've got to bring our songs back. Our songs that we do sing have to be subject to our theology. Just because it plays good on the radio doesn't mean that we ought to sing it. And there is a distinct power. If you will observe crowds... And I haven't done it intentionally, but it happens by nature. Um, I don't know how many church services I've been in my whole life. If I would add all those up and all the special meetings I went to, and some, I don't know, somewhere around 17, 1,800 times that I've preached, and a lot of those have been youth events, and you watch things come around. When people begin to sing songs that take the you and I out of it and are just reflective and speaking about him, there is something that begins to change in the atmosphere. And we don't even begin to think about it. You know, it's like that song, uh, uh, you're singing, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And you begin to sing the names of God. Folks, it's not just because we're singing some kind of an Old Testament words that people don't speak. It's not about that. It's the point that when the song be, is a song that begins to speak from the heart directly to the Lord, you enter into a higher plane of worship. Your theology is uniquely connected. And if you don't believe that, go to Psalm 23. He starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in uh, uh, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But then he gets to a place and he stops singing about God and he starts singing to God. And he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou 
art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. So somewhere in our worship, we've got to make the transfer from just singing about God to all of a sudden we're having a connection to God. And that's what Paul is declaring. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be all glory and honor, or be glory forever and ever. Amen. So your theology impacts, amen, your worship. We could go on. First, uh, Timothy 6, 14 through 16. First Timothy 6, 14. That thou keepest the commandment without spot and rebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And he goes on, Psalm 90 and 2, before the mountains were brought forth or even before thou hast formed the earth and the world. We could go on. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I could keep going on. Okay, so real quick, let's... I'm going to jump here real quick. Is this okay? I don't want to bore you tonight. So let's, let's think about it in this sense. I'm going to go to one verse of Scripture. Saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now a lot of people would look at this and say, well, you see there he's talking about two different distinct people. And so he's talking about the Father like he's another entity. Well, remember we were talking that Christ is the omnipresent God present on earth, manifest on earth. He is the Logos. He is the reveal of God. So when he's, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, he says, here I am, but he says, I am in heaven. At the same time, he's on earth. He's saying that. The only way he could do that is if he's God. So that's quite a pretty, I've, ne I've never been able to be in two places at the same time. And so he says to Nicodemus, I am in heaven, though you're seeing me right here. He's doing the same thing here, if you will, a little bit right here by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we were to do some word studies, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip past a lot of the Greek and a lot of different things, but there's three ideas that are encompassed in the word uh, apocalypsis, which is translated revelation. There's three concepts, okay? And I'm just throwing this out here, so if, if you don't get this, I can give this to you later. But the three ideas that encompass that are these three ideas. Number one, revelation, which is translated revelation often, and that is the transmission of something. That is the effective transmission of something, giving, you're revealing something. That's the first idea. The second idea is truth. That is the, the fact that is being transmitted or the message, the content of the message that is being transmitted. And the third idea is the illumination, which is the unveiling, if you will, or the uncovering of the content here. And so revelation is the delivery, the transmission, the truth or the fact is the content here. And then the illumination is allowing somebody who's blinded by it or what are the unveiling. And so we use those words interchangeably a lot, but they have different contexts and different meaning. So here's what Jesus is saying. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Okay? So he's the way. 
Okay? So he is the process, if you will. Okay? The process of how the eternal, omnipresent, absolute God communicates with finite man. He is the way, the process. He is also the truth. He is the message. He is the fact of God. And so when we look at Jesus Christ, we can know everything about God that we need to know about God because we see Jesus Christ. But then also, he is the life. He is the experience, if you get, if you would, of illumination in our life. And so he's the process, he's the truth, and he is also the experience, okay, in that sense of how we understand God. So Jesus Christ is speaking to finite man. Now, I don't know if that's, if, if I went too fast there and I didn't unfold that like maybe I, I would have with scriptures and other things. But Jesus Christ is sitting here and what he's saying is I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the process by which God communicates to man. I am the content of who God is, and I am the revealing or the unveiling of God to finite man. And then he says, he follows it up, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no way that you can find out about God except God manifest himself. There's no way you can know about God except the transcendent absolute God comes down. You following along what I'm saying? And makes himself knowable. There's no way that corruptible finite man could ever experience God except God come down and give us the experience of God. And you know what the experience of God is? It's life. It's life. And I'm not just talking about the breath that we breathe, although that's the beginning of the physical. But there is a life that goes deeper and beyond the breath that you breathe. And he's saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man gets to the eternal God that has no beginning and no ending except they come through me. Okay? But... Now, here's where, here's where this ties in with eternality. We are in time, and revelation, the revelation of God, is what dictates the time that we are in, right? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is the Word? The Word is the Logos. It is the revelation of God. It is the process by which God says, I am going to reveal myself. And the word, the process, was made flesh. <laughs> he became the truth and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory even as the only begotten of the Father. He comes down. So we experience the absolute God. How? We experience him through Jesus Christ. We experience him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you see that? Do you catch that? So if you understand that from this, this is the way the early church and the Jews of the Old Testament would look at and acknowledge God. There's no way that you can understand the Godhead this way and come to a place where you have a plurality of persons and you have a distinction of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost 
as if they're three different persons having a coalition and talking to one another. Does that make sense? What is happening is the eternal, absolute, invisible, transcendent God made himself knowable. Because that's how powerful he is. He's absolute, but he's not so absolute. He's also omnipotent. He's so powerful that he knew how. He made himself knowable to finite man. And then he made himself relative to us, and he allowed his spirit to be inside of us. So go to the next slide, and let's see what we have here. What, what do we put up? Okay, so here we are. And so we go to before the beginning. That's where, remember, we always go back to before the beginning, the eternity. Okay, so no time, no space, no relativity. Nothing exists except for God alone up here. That's all that's in the beginning. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That beginning, he's the Lamb. He's the lamb slain, what does it say? From the foundation of the world. So from the very beginning, God already had the design. He already knew there would be sin. He already had the design to make a way to get us into everlasting life, to get his life in us, for us to experience God. The only way we can experience uh, uh, eternity is, is to experience God, to get in God. And once we do that, when we're in Him, when our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, then we have the life of God. It's His life. Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Okay? So then we have the beginning, and from there, we now have time, we have space, we have relativity, and God sometimes will speak to us in that context, and he'll let us know, hey, I'm the God who was, I'm the God who is, and I'm the God who is to come. And so he speaks to it as it's relating to time that we know, but he also says, hey, I'm the God that is. And before the day was, I am. I am before the was. I am now before your past. Now, we can't understand that, but that's God. And folks, that's what makes him God. That's pretty awesome. Let's go to the next thing. Next slide, okay? So here we see eternity past, eternity now, I guess you could say, because he's always, etern he's always eternal. His, his eternality is always there, but that's what we would call the present. And then this eternity future, and so the past, time begins with the beginning, and then time future ends in the ending. And so the Bible will speak sometimes about the ending, but there's no ending of God. There's no stopping there of God. But that's when he plays all of this stuff out. And what's at the end? Well, the end is the revelation of God. It's the revelation. It's when it's finally there and settled and man has chosen God or rejected God and man knows God and God has revealed himself and all in all and everything's done. And that's eternity where we're at. So that's a little kind of framework. So when Jesus says... I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. He's talking about the eternity now. He's talking about this, this process as revelation relates to finite man who's, who's subject to this place. He's saying, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And the only way that you right here get to God here and God here and God everywhere is, is you've got to come through me. And so he says, I'm the only way. So folks... When people start saying that, hey, we can sit down with other religions, other Eastern religions, other kinds of things, and we can sit down, and there's more ways, and you can have this nirvana and all that stuff, that is as far from the truth. Amen? And a lie doesn't help anybody. I'd rather preach the truth that hurts than, than heals. 
than to preach a lie that soothes but kills. I'd rather preach the truth that hurts but heals or can heal than to preach a lie that soothes but kills. And we are doing a disservice when we know the truth, but we won't declare the truth of God. All right. Is that okay? Amen. So let's go on. Let's go on here. And we're wrapping this up. Amen. What time is it? Praise the Lord. All right. I got 10 minutes. Amen. Do you love the Lord tonight? I love the Lord tonight. I love studying about God. So now how does this impact me? Well, here's how. Here's, I'm glad you asked. God's eternal. No, no, no captivity of time. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, and I'm going to let you lead me. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. God is eternal, and God, we see him, we're going to see him in this passage of Scripture speak to Isaiah. And he's speaking. Now, here's an interesting thing about Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet called to preach to backslidden Israel. In the narrative, the, the kingdom of, of Israel that David ruled and Solomon ruled over has divided. The southern portion is called Judah. The northern portion is called Israel. They backslide. They never have one righteous king from the time they divide. They're eventually carried off into in Syria and um, all kinds of things. And so there are prophets in the, in the Bible that we have that God sent to this black backslidden state wherein most of the time there was none righteous. And, of course, Elijah was there. And he's, he gets in despair. Could you imagine if God sends you to a, a, a bunch of, 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 like with Jeremiah, God says, I'm going to take all the good people out of Israel. The whole place is messed up, but I'm going to take all the good people. I'm going to take them to Babylon in captivity. And then he says, but Jeremiah, you don't get to go. You get to stay and preach to the bad people. Now, if God's calling them bad people, come on, folks. You know they're bad people. And God's saying to Jeremiah, I can't do any more with them, but I'm, but I'm not going to leave them without a voice of truth. I'm not going to leave them without a witness. I'm not going to leave them without a preacher. So Jeremiah becomes this weeping prophet, and you feel sorry for him. And Isaiah goes and does much of the same thing, and he's preaching to these people that are backslidden. And you've got to imagine, pre he's preaching, and he's prophesying, and he's living his life, and nobody's lifting God. And he's probably thinking, what in the world? I am wasting my time. But God gives him such rich and beautiful things. And here Isaiah is, this is written some 500 and some years before Christ ever comes on the scene. And Isaiah, as the oracle of God, begins to speak. As the oracle of God. And he begins to speak about the future things as though they've already happened. I love this. Who hath believed our report? Now remember, he's all by himself preaching to a backslidden place. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We're going to go on for about several verses. Amen. Seven verses. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. So he went from past tense. Or, 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 or uh, uh, yeah, from speaking future tense, now he's speaking of present tense. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And now he goes into past tense. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried 
our sorrows. Here he is speaking as if, as if it's already happened. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was, not he will be, <laughs> not he is, he was. Anybody, anybody ever read this and say, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? It's 500 years. It hasn't played out yet. Isaiah's preaching to a bunch of backsliders. They're not amening him. He's having church all by himself. This has got to be the most depressing service you've ever been in. But he gets a revelation of who God is and what's going on. And Isaiah sees it. And he starts rejoicing already. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we, he goes back into present tense, are healed. You know what happened? Isaiah got a vision of the eternal God. And he realized that God is not affected by time. He realized I could preach till my dying day and never see revival. But the Messiah is coming. In fact, the work has already been established. It's as good as done. It is over the devil has lost. Sin has no power. God is victorious. And right now, I can claim my healing because God's word is alive and well today. I can rejoice in it now as if it's all. Folks, I don't know about you, but if you've got a problem tonight, if you've got a sickness, if you've got a prayer request, you've been laying on the altar and you're thinking God hasn't answered it yet, I'm going to tell you, you need to get faith in you and understand God's not affected by time. He's already heard the prayer. If you submit it to him, you can rejoice tonight as if everything's going to be all right. Come on, I feel some doubting in the house, but there's greater faith in the house than there is doubt. Hallelujah. I know there's some hesitation, but greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Come on, stop letting our troubles dictate us. Stop letting the outlook. Stop saying, hey, well, nobody's doing this and nobody's doing that. And look at all these empty pews and look at all these. Can I tell you, God doesn't look like that. <laughs> God already knows what's coming. He already knows what's going to happen. He's not bound by our time. I can rejoice in God today. Folks, we too often are so in the flesh. We come in and the house is crowded on Sunday morning and everybody's here. Everybody, isn't it great when everybody shows up at church on the same, same, same weekend? They go, man, this is great. And we come in, and they're singing, oh, man, and we're just, this is awesome. And we're worshiping the Lord. But we come in on a week, and half the people are gone. And you think, my Lord, everybody backslide? Where's, what's going on? You know, where, where's everybody at? Nobody's here. And in our flesh, come on, come on, nobody's going to help me preach tonight. We sit back and we're thinking, oh, I don't know what's going on. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're by yourself in the midweek praying. It doesn't matter if there's two or three. He's still God. He's God in our yesterday. He's God right now in our tomorrow. He's God even now. He's above it. And I don't have to wait till the house is full, till the miracles come for me to magnify him. I can do it right now. Oh, I wish somebody would understand. Hallelujah. That God is God and he inhabits. It's your eternity. 
Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. That's why I can look life in the eye and say, hey, it may not happen yet, but I can rejoice today in what's not happened as if it's already happened. Job said it this way. He said, uh, though after skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh... I shall see God. He's saying, hey, I lost everything. People are cursing me. My, my friends are pointing fingers and everything's miserable. I don't even want to be alive. But he had to pause a moment and say, wait a minute. I know I can't see a way out. But in my flesh, there's going to be a resurrection someday. Someday I am going to behold the internal, the eternal God. I'm going to behold the omnipresent God. And he began to rejoice right then in that moment that's why we in the church we we have a different outlook on death than the world has on death the world mourns and we mourn yes we mourn the loss and the temporal things and the suffering and the separation and that is real and we carry that but can I tell you we don't mourn like the world mourns because we know there's something greater there's a mystery we shall not all sleep amen but the Lord's going to come back at the last trump and this mortal's going to take on immortality oh death where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory and I can rejoice tonight, amen, in the resurrection that's coming in the future. I don't even know where it's, when it's going to happen. Hebrews said these, having received a good report, they, did not, they died not seeing the promise. But you know what? They were okay because they knew it's coming. <laughs> I, 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 I know you promised that God. Abraham didn't see the fullness of what God was talking about. But I know it's coming. You know what Jesus said? He said, Abraham rejoice to see my day he saw it and was glad he didn't see that in the physical he didn't see that in the natural where Abraham saw that is he saw it in faith he saw it in the revelation of the mighty God he saw it it's gonna happen maybe I'm not gonna live to see it but it's as good as done and he rejoiced in that can I tell you I'm not despairing I'm not worrying amen because my God is victorious and I've read the back of the book and we win Christ wins I've got a hope in this life hallelujah oh, I wish somebody stand to your feet and clap your hands unto the Lord today oh hallelujah can you praise him just a little bit hallelujah what a mighty God you are oh hallelujah 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 praise the Lord praise the Lord praise the Lord Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Acts 4, Acts 1 and 4 says, And being assembled together with them, Christ commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? Well, you find it in Ezekiel 36 and 27 in one of five prophets that prophesied specifically, and I will put my spirit within you. Wow. 
Solomon said, that's too big. I can't even, will God surely dwell on her? How, how does the omnipresent God come down and dwell? I don't know how that happens. That's the promise. It's been hundreds of years. We haven't seen it. Is it really happening? And Jesus said, you go to Jerusalem and you wait because the promise is coming. And then when the day of Pentecost was fully come, hallelujah, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And they there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance and you know what Peter said he said this is that what's this this is the relative presence of an omnipresent God coming down and dwelling inside of humanity Folks, it matters what you believe. It matters what you think about God. And I don't know about you, but we've got to stop letting our troubles and our trials keep us down. One more time as we close. Can we lift our hands? Amen. Let's just turn it over to the Lord.